Okay. Yeah, let's um, let's go ahead and do this thing. I'm going to check here, make sure everything's recording appropriately, and it appears that it's uh, we got everything going. So let's do this thing. Awesome. All right, let's kick it off in three, two, one. All right, everyone, welcome to the Hot Isle. My name is Brent Piatti. And I'm Brian Carpenter. Excellent. So today is uh, 1 July 2015, and the goal of the show today is to educate all of our listeners on the, the rapidly evolving space of, of containers, right, and, and all the ecosystem that surrounds it. And then that's going to facilitate not only today's data center, but tomorrow's data center. So we're going to talk about containers, the ecosystem, DockerCon. Uh, we're going to talk about what EMC is doing in that space. And with us, we've got a very special guest today by the name of Jonas Rosland, who works with EMC. And uh, we'll introduce him or let him introduce himself in, in a little bit here. But um, we're looking forward to a show. It's going to be great. So um, stay tuned and uh, follow us and tell all of your friends out there about the great things you're learning on the hot aisle. So with that, Jonas Rosland, tell us about yourself what you do and why people should care. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everyone. Um, Jonas Rosslin here. Thank you so much for bringing me on, on the podcast. Uh, I work at EMC and a, um, a small group called EMC Code. We're, developer at, we're a developer advocate group. So we're focused on um, open source, making sure that EMC internally understands open source and embraces it, <clears throat> both uses open source tools and contributes back to the open source community. And of course, we go out externally as well and uh, go out and talk to those communities and work with those communities. Uh, so we w we've been working a lot with the um, uh, automation community and the uh, Docker and container community in the last couple of months focusing on uh, stuff that we built for DockerCon. Uh, I think we're going to talk about Flocker and Rexray uh, during the podcast. We'll uh, dive a bit deeper into those. Um, so that's what we do. We look at interesting things that's coming up um, in the companies that are leading the industry. So we're, we're focused on looking at what startups are using today because we know what they're using today and what they're leading the industry with is going to be used in enterprises going forward as well. That's awesome. So you were, when you started DMC, was your first job at DMC as a V-Specialist? Yeah, correct. So I started in um, uh, the autumn of 2010 as a V-Specialist. I was a consultant for EMC Tech and Cisco Gear and VMware Technologies for a couple of years before that. And then I started at EMC as a V-Specialist focused on VMware Technologies and trying to essentially show why EMC really matters in a VMware environment. Um, after that, after a couple of years, I got, um, got an offer to work at the office of the CTO at EMC. So, and that actually moved me over from Sweden. So I used to work over in Stockholm, Sweden. So it moved me over to Boston, Massachusetts, where I live now with my wife. And what were you, are you allowed to talk about what you were doing in OCTO or is that uh, yeah. super secret? <clears throat> yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, when I joined the office of the CTO, since it's a, a research branch of EMC, most of it is intellectual property and leads to patents and stuff that we include in our, uh, our products, right? But the stuff that I did was mostly public. So it was kind of funny because I, I used to blog about the results that I found uh, and uh, built tech. So I built some automation tools. I enhanced an automation tool uh, called Puppet Labs Razor. So I enhanced that um, to automatically figure out where in a data center a specific server was located. Um, stuff like that. That's awesome stuff. And I, you know, like we actually, I think Nick's going to eventually be a part of the show. You know, Nick was kind of a, a key. Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm basically maybe the original developer of Razor or one of the one of the originals yeah. there. So um, we'll get him to expand on what he was doing there and why it doesn't work with my uh, Xbox um, motion sensor, like <laughs> like all of his other apps. But we'll get into that on, on another show. Hopefully, Nick will be able to join us. We've we've been begging, but Intel won't let him won't set him free. Um, so you know, we Jonas, we you know, people can find you on JonasRoslin.com. Um, yep. They can also read a lot of your, your musings from the past with you and Magnus on purevirtual.eu. And Correct. then, uh, of course, they can hit you up on Twitter at, at, at Jonas Roslin. If yep. you can see a theme here, he uses this Jonas Roslin thing a lot. I think it's his name. 
So yeah. you can find him on Twitter at Jonas Roslin, I believe GitHub at Jonas Roslin, pretty much any, anything that's out there, you can find him that way. And so when you're going to look for his code and things that he's put out there, um, look under that name. There's a lot of amazing stuff that he's done. So um, let's get into this thing. So Brent, you want to talk about this day? We always, uh, Jonas, we do this thing, this day in tech history. Um, mm-hmm. It's always a fun little game to see how you attach to the history of technology. This one specifically might be older than you. <laughs> All right. So, so this day in tech history, uh, again, followed from uh, this day in tech history dot com on July 1st, 1979, uh, the illustrious year that uh, your your one and only Brent Piotti was born. The first Sony Walkman goes on sale in Japan um, and it goes on it went on sale about a year later in the U.S., um, so everyone knows what the what the, the Sony Walkman was, a you know personal music carrier, replaced by many things: the Zune, the iPod, the iPhone. So my question for you, Jonas, is: How many iPods or music players do you have just sitting stashed away in drawers today that you have not used and not touched? So <clears throat> I was very, very lucky to move uh, over to the U.S. last year. Other, um, otherwise, I would have answered about 20, I think. Uh, so I got CD players. It was iPods, both the mini ones and the nano ones, and, and uh, different phones as well. There was music players. My wife actually had an MP3 player with a phone functionality. So it, it was a cell phone, but it was marketed as an MP3 player with a phone functionality. Uh, it was beautiful, pink, square. It looked really interesting. Um, but yeah, we, we used to have a ton. Right now, we've cut down on all our tech, uh, or so I thought, uh, when we counted all the electronics that we actually have in the house, and we counted like 21 Wi-Fi connected um, peripherals uh, and apparatuses. It's the uh, IoT, baby. Yeah, like 21, and we're only two people. Uh, yeah. We can only use one at any time. So, yeah, we're definitely using a lot of tech, but not that many music players anymore. So, yeah, I think we, I mean, I've got probably six sitting around at some point. A Nano, a Mini, a, an old, like the first generation iPod that actually had buttons on it. Like yep. just, I mean, we all just disposable technology that we, we spent a lot of money on. But it became pretty useless. There's probably in this containers back here. There's probably about you can't even see them. I don't even know why I'm pointing on a podcast. So <laughs> you can tell who's the smart one in the group. Um, so you, I've got containers behind me, and I'm sure they're they're full of MP3 players and and also gigantic USB drives that everybody loves to give out. So you know, Jonas, you and I are uh, big fans of EDM in general. So where do you where were the, where do you stream your your music from today? Are you a Pandora guy? Are you Spotify? Are you a combination of seven different things? Or where are you at there? So it's definitely a combination. Um, I used to have a large music archive. I still have that, but I've given away most of my CDs and everything to charity. Uh, when we moved over, I, I, I didn't feel a need to to have it anymore. But I still have all my vinyls. All your ABBA. Uh, all my ABBA. It was, it's mostly 70s, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, uh, stuff like that. But I have some EDM on vinyl as well. That's awesome. Um, most of the stuff, though, is definitely Spotify uh, for playlists that I've, that I've gathered for years. But new stuff I generally found, find on SoundCloud. So I just start up SoundCloud and I just play the, the EDM playlist over there and I always find at least a few good songs a day that I add to playlists. That's awesome. That's where I get all my remixes, especially uh, I love like really obscure remixes of Nine Inch Nails. Um, yep. So there's fantastic remixes out there. I'm always confused because one of the things we had to deal with when doing music here is the whole, um, you know, essentially uh, what Creative Commons, right? I can't use yep. music illegally. So I've been using Creative Commons music for kind of our intro music. And it all says out there that it's licensed by Creative Commons, yet it's a remix of a song that costs money. And so I'm not really 100% sure I understand that or if I even agree with that or if it's just kind of been ignored. I wasn't willing to use it for the podcast, but I've I got a lot of research to do on that. As long as before you play the song, you say remix, rick, 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 <laughs> then you're good to go. Yeah. Then it becomes yeah. Creative Commons. That's correct. <laughs> they actually have to shout over it to you. <laughs> this is the <laughs> remix. So we're uh, we digress. Let's uh, let's do this containers thing. We, you know we can let's contain ourselves. 
and let's talk about the containers and kind of the whole ecosystem around them. Jonas is a is you know one of the one of the foremost experts in EMC and probably you know in the in the community regarding containers and their use in enterprise or in modern application architectures or just you know if you're a startup whatever it is you're considering to do. And I'm not sure who just peeked into your. Uh, that was my wife. <laughs> hi, wife. So this is a family-friendly uh, show, but yet somehow our family thinks they need to come on it. Um, so, anyways, let's talk about containers. You know, so first thing is Jonas. Can you just container? I mean, can you just container anything? I mean, that's that's my question. Can I just? Can I just everything I've got today? I just put it in containers and I'm good to go. For, so first of all, you're giving me way too much credit. Um, I, I know containers. I, I do training on containers, but <clears throat> I wouldn't consider myself an expert uh, in the container community. Uh, there, there are so many other really, really smart people uh, out there. So I, I just need to be a bit humble there. You're the smartest uh, guy on this podcast about containers, and that's what's important. <laughs> true, true. That, that, that I can work with. So um, if you can container anything, yes, you can. Uh, well, almost anything. The, the question is rather, should you? So you could most probably contain pretty much anything out there. There are a few different things that you uh, that are harder to contain um, to put into a container. That's that's the proper term. Um, uh, stuff like the kernel modules and stuff like that that needs to be loaded into the host operating system before they can actually be used by containers. Uh, but other than that, you can put pretty much anything you want into a container. And that's very, uh, very much seen if you go onto the Docker Hub, you will see close to 100,000 different applications that have been um, contained into a container. So, or containerized, as the term is. Um, but that doesn't mean that you should put everything into a container. Some applications are not really built. For, uh, to run in a container and therefore should probably not be in one. So let's talk about that. So you can containerize anything, but there are reasons probably compelling to containerize versus not containerize. So let's talk about that just briefly on why, what, what is an application that you can think of that, that should be containerized and, and why? So usually you have <clears throat> applications that are small and, and pro, um, provide uh, a certain functionality usually does one task really well. That that's a great example of a an application that can be containerized. But if you have an application, usually an older monolithic application that is doing a ton of different things at any one time, that's usually not a good way, um, a good application to containerize. That doesn't mean that it can't. It's just not a really good fit. Containers, um, most containers that you run today and the way you run them today are um, ephemeral. So containers are generally ephemeral. So you don't store anything inside the container itself, um, but you can store stuff outside the container in what's called a volume. So when people started playing around with this, they saw that their applications usually wrote logs directly to disk uh, that should be piped somewhere else instead. They, they had databases or weird files that they were reliant on and they were also stored on disk and that shouldn't be there either. So applications that are, aren't really written to be ephemeral are usually not a good, um, good option to containerize, I would say. But there has been a lot of improvements now, especially in the volume space, and Docker is definitely betting hard on this because they want to make sure that we can have stateful applications that actually store stuff as well, such as databases and stuff like that. They want to make sure that those uh, applications can run in containers as well. And that's where we come in um, from EMC Code and EMC and working together with the community to make sure that that happens. And we'll uh, we'll definitely dive into that stuff. There's a lot of it's it's almost we have a you know things we want to kind of break open about containers and explain it. Uh, but I'm I want to scroll all the way to the bottom of my list of questions and get into all that exciting stuff that just happened last week at DockerCon. I think it was last week, but yep. uh, recently. So um, when when in the container kind of story as you, uh, that's out there today, right? What you, we know everybody knows Docker. They're kind of the they're the name that started, and it's yeah. you know the uh, open source and the, the enterprise product and all that. Who else is out there? So, <clears throat> containers has been around uh, for a long time, about forty years. So, containers have been used on mainframe for a really, really long time. Uh, IBM was actually on the show floor. They were one of the platinum sponsors of DockerCon together with EMC, Intel, and Microsoft, uh, and they brought a mainframe. 
uh, to the show floor. And <clears throat> a lot of people turned heads. They were like, what, what is a mainframe doing here? This is modern applications. Mainframe are usually seen as old and legacy. But they showed that, well, we've been running containers for several decades. You should trust us. I'm like, okay, okay, sounds interesting. And they showed how you can um, build containers on top of different architectures, uh, looking at x86, Spark, Z, and stuff like that, um, which was pretty cool. But there are a bunch of other uh, containing tech out there that runs well on x86 as well. So you got Rocket from CoreOS, which was launched and released during DockerCon Europe last year. It was kind of a kind of a, a weird, um, an interesting, I would say, an interesting discussion that started between the CoreOS team and the Docker team, based on a a pretty um, uh, pretty harsh blog post about how Docker uh, went away from their manifest of how a container should look like. They've now kissed and made up uh, during DockerCon last uh, last week and released the open container format, <clears throat> uh, open container project which is actually a foundation under the Linux Foundation, where EMC and a bunch of others are founding members. Um, so they uh, also launched Run-C, which is a universal container format that will run on both Linux and Windows, or so is the plan. Then you got LXD, uh, you got um, uh, NSpawn, you got a bunch of different container technologies. They've been around for, for years. Google has been running containers in production for 10 years. And they spin up 2 billion containers a week. So it, it's been out there. Docker is definitely the, the poster child though. And I think most of um, the biggest reason why Docker is now the poster child of container tech is because uh, it's so easy to use. It's very easy to understand how to use it. And that's why why they won all the developers and ops teams over. So I won't pretend to know what this is. Brian actually told me about it, but uh, Project Bonneville by VMware. Yeah. What in the world is that? So Project Bonneville, it's a it, so far it's a blog post and a YouTube video that they uh, that they released last week during DockerCon. Project Bonneville is is an interesting project where VMware took what's called Project Fargo or VM Fork for those in the know, um, <clears throat> where you take a, a virtual machine and you fork it just like you would fork uh, an existing process in a system. So if you would fork like an Apache web server, you would get a copy of that web server. Or if you would fork another process in your system, you would get a copy of that. So they do the same thing, but with a full virtual machine. Um, and this is really interesting because what you get is essentially linked clones, as we've seen in VDI before, but on a server level in a, in a more, way more efficient manner, where we can have a um, container operating system spin up as a virtual machine. Then we fork that container operating system uh, into tens or hundreds of VMs and then run containers on top of those. The, the biggest thing that we win by doing this is that we get the security and isolation of virtual machines, of hardware virtualization around our containers because that's really not available today. So VMware is definitely leading, uh, leading that um, um, position right now and making sure that we can actually have containers that even if they would break out right now, we don't really have that issue. But if we found a security flaw in, in Docker or other container tech, and we saw that they could break out of the containers, all they would find is the shell that is that VM. And that VM has nothing else on it, nothing else runs on it. So it's a security measure, and, and it's a, a really good way for VMware to actually tie into the whole Docker story. Um, what's cool about, uh, another cool thing about Bonneville is that it uses the Docker API. So you have your Docker client in, in, uh, on your laptop or wherever, and then you can just point it to Bonneville and it will automatically spin up these forks of VMs for you when you start containers. So you don't have to change anything in your workflow, um, but rather just get VMware tech around your containers automatically. So That's hopefully cool. we'll see uh, some of it at VMworld San Francisco. At least I hope so. Maybe we'll get a launch or something at, uh, at VMworld Barcelona. We'll see. Very cool. So when you're, I mean, you're talking about these things now, you've got all these forks of things, right? You've got 2 billion containers a week, which when you go mm -hmm. back to that ephemeral quality, right, they both create them and delete 
two billion containers a week. Um, and so, and then you talk about forking things, deleting those forks, all that, it kind of brings that conversation up of container management. Mm -hmm. So is there, I mean, we, maybe Docker's doing that. Maybe they've got somebody else in the ecosystem. Um, you know, we, obviously there was a conversation about core OS was written for as far as container management and stuff like that. Where are we with container management or where are we going with that? So there are, there are two different uh, different parts of container management today as I see it. The first one is container OS management. So managing the, the container operating system and getting that set up correctly. CoreOS has, has led the charge there and uh, <clears throat> uh, created technology like etcd and fleet to make sure that their container operating systems uh, automatically form a cluster and keep alive and then you run your containers on top of a CoreOS fleet and it automatically keeps your containers alive as well. That was, that was the, the base of the CoreOS te tech, essentially. Then you have the overlying um, tech looking at Mesos and Kubernetes, for instance, and also Docker Swarm. Uh, so Docker is more or less creating a platform right now. They, they have a bunch of different tech out there for networking. They're, they're focusing on storage now for the next couple of months as well as it looks like. Um, but they also have some automation tools around creating container operating systems. Uh, we got Docker Machine to create um, um, container OSs where you can run your containers. Uh, you've got Docker Compose to put containers together and link them together. And then you got Docker Swarm to just spread out your, your containers across entire clusters of Docker machines. Um, then, of course, you got Mesos and Kubernetes, and Kubernetes is um, uh, project run uh, it was led by uh, Google. They released it to open source, and it has a lot of contributors now. Where you create pods for your containers, it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting concept where you don't just run one container, but generally you run several containers that are used together. So you would have a web server and a content grabber. So the content grabber grabs the content from somewhere, fills the web server with that content, and the web, uh, and the web server pushes it out. That is a pod of two containers. Very rarely would you see just one container running in one pod. You would have several, maybe tens or, or even more in one pod. And then you schedule that pod across your entire cluster and you run a lot of containers. Then you have Mesos that can manage containers, but it can also manage other large-scale applications like Hadoop, Cassandra, all those large-scale applications. They don't have to be containers, but they can be. So Google has teamed up with CoreOS and created a, um, an officially supported and uh, sold product called Tectonic, which is Kubernetes and CoreOS mixed together and blended together into an enterprise offering. Um, Mesos is the the backbone of a company called Mesosphere. So they took the open source Apache Mesos and a bunch of other tools like Marathon and Kronos and, and built Mesosphere on top. Uh, and they now have Mesosphere Data Center OS, which manages everything as well, both the spin up of physical hardware and containers and everything. So there's a lot of stuff going on in the container management space. Um, and it's all, it's mostly, not all, but it's mostly. Uh, focused on ephemeral services. Another um, another piece around container management that is usually forgotten when you talk about containers because they're they are not really seen as Docker containers is when you look at PaaS systems. So look at Cloud Foundry, look at Days, for instance, from from Engine Yard, um, where you have a platform as a service and you just push your code. That code is then embedded into a container and run as a container. Those are also container management systems, although they're not usually that hands-on. You don't have to be hands-on with the system. You just push your push your code and you're done. Yeah, I think you you bring up a good point that you know Pivotal Cloud Foundry, Cloud Foundry, they have the the concept of containers, a droplet. Um, you can pair up containers like Docker with Pivotal Cloud Foundry, um, but it's not always necessary. Uh, but Moving on, uh, so you talked about container security before. Yeah. Um, it, it to me, it you know, I, I've heard two sides of the story, right? There's 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 people that are like, hey, it's not secure enough. I absolutely can't do it. But then when you talk to or listen to the guys from Docker, they're like, look, it doesn't matter, right? If you have proper security in place already, 
within your data center, we're adding another layer of abstraction. So what's the truth to it? I mean, do you mm. do you need, do we need it to be more secure for people to start adopting it? Or is it just, you know, people getting their undies in a bunch? So at DockerCon last week, there were a bunch of different user stories around uh, large companies, enterprises, and public organizations, and a ton of startups, of course, that have embraced Docker already and are running it in production. They feel it's secure enough. Um, if you want more security, of course, things like, um, like Project Bonneville is definitely moving the needle forward, where you run your containers inside VMs. Um, Right now, I would say there. I can't speak officially on Docker's behalf, but I would say they're they're definitely safe enough for most people to run them in production. Heck, eBay started using it when it was uh, version zero point six in production, um, and security wasn't even on the roadmap back then. Yeah, but we all know eBay doesn't care about their customers, right? <laughs> <laughs> So, just kidding. Uh, you know what, eBay, if you decide to listen, I'll, I'll apologize. Um, so, you know, it, when, we, when it comes down to it, what we see a lot of is um, that startup mentality or that, that modern application people tend to adopt this kind of stuff pretty quickly. And then the other thing you see is huge enterprises actually tend to adopt this stuff pretty quickly because they have large teams and complex problems to solve. And they basically have people who are sitting around trying to solve problems. When it's trying to bridge that gap in the middle of these, you know, small businesses, medium businesses, medium large enterprises, things like that, or or government entities and things like that, where where do you consider to be kind of the um, adoption blockages or even the adoption curve for the rest of these people? What's going to come or what's going to change that's going to make it easier for these type of people, you know, these other types of people to adopt it or readily adopt it? I think the uh, the um uh, biggest problem in adopting something like this is that uh, is if you're if you do not have your own development uh, teams. So if you only have consultants or outsourcing and stuff like that, it's going to be harder to implement something like this. In my in my opinion, if you have your own development team and the development team work cl works closely with the operations teams, so we talk about DevOps and all of that. Uh, I think. It makes more sense because then, as a development team, you can have this this container where you run all your code, and you, as a development team, have made sure that this container actually runs really well. The application runs really well inside that container. Then, as the ops team, you can just take this container and run it anywhere. And um, but if you do not have your own development team or your own ops team, I think that's the biggest blocker. So we, we see a lot, of, uh, a lot of companies, both small, medium, and large, that have a lot of outsourcing and a lot of service providers that are, uh, that are helping them. And I think those companies, the outsourcers and service providers and the, um, and the uh, outsource development teams as well, they need to embrace this to, to uh, further um, enhance their own customers and make sure that their customers are, are happy and can use this. But if you're a small team or, or if you have your own development team and ops team, uh, I don't really see a blocker unless you're doing, uh, you're creating these large monoliths and you do not want to move into a microservices architecture and stuff like that. So um, for, for people out there that are, are, are wanting to learn more about containers, uh, you know, I personally went out on the internet and just, you know, went to Docker, for instance, and yep. they've got a pretty cool, um, you know, you can download their package. Um, it's a, it's an OVA. You can run it on your, you know, kind of your VMware environment. Uh, it takes 45 minutes or so. You can run on Windows, OS X, um, whatever. But um, what is, what is your preference? What would you tell people out there? Hey, if you want to learn about containerization, you should go here and try these things out. Yeah, so there are a few different things. So I, I, um, I was out yesterday the entire day and actually giving training to uh, one of the internal development teams here at EMC. And I do that externally as well. So we've had a bit over 60 people externally trained um, on Docker technology. And the, the stuff that I use are um, mostly boot to Docker, which is a very, very small package that you, that you start up. Um, it's a very slimmed down VM that has uh, Docker running in it. And it doesn't even take 45 minutes, it should take you maybe five minutes to get started. 
Um, Docker redid their entire website last week, so they added some training videos there as well, which is pretty nice uh, and kind of guides you through this is how you start with Docker, this is how you operate Docker, manage Docker, and so on. And they're all free videos, about an hour each. Um, I've also uh, created some YouTube videos um, that we have up on the uh, EMC Corp YouTube uh, video account. It's on the EMC Code uh, playlist. Uh, it's an introduction introduction to Docker and containers, um, so you can listen to that. It's like a 10-minute thing. Another really good resource that, that I always recommend is actually DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is a, uh, a hosting company for um, virtual servers, essentially. And, but they have a really cool community tutorial uh, part of DigitalOcean where the community writes really, really good articles. And they're about everything. But they have created some really good articles around Docker and what it is and the entire Docker ecosystem. It's like a five-part tutorial on the Docker ecosystem. And it's a great read. It's very easy to understand and uh, gives you the, the gist of all the tools that are out there around Docker as well, surrounding Docker and making Docker even more uh, powerful and successful. So I would highly recommend DigitalOcean's tutorials there. And as a segue on that training stuff, you mentioned your—I uh, have it as a note for later—but you mentioned your 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 training that you and Calgar kind of put together, and and Matt Calgar was a, a guest last week. But I did want to mention, you know, the the code team has a DevOps training videos available, you know, for a lot of things: intro yep. to Docker, infrastructure as code, CoreOS 101, intro to Agile methodology, DevOps tools, Vagrant and Packer. DevOps communication and collaboration tools, DevOps tools, Cloud Foundry, and container management Kubernetes. So there's these are all like 10-minute videos. They're all on YouTube. Uh, I was going to plug it and say, you guys need to go see all the stuff that Jonas and, and Matt are putting out there for everybody to learn. Um, and it's it's fantastic stuff. So thanks for thanks for bringing up the, uh, the Docker and containers intro thing. But uh, there's tons of them out there. So go consume them. And if you can't remember all of those or didn't write them down, they're on the EMC Code newsletter which I hope you signed up for by now. I mean, we only, <laughs> we've only mentioned it like seven times in seven shows, so quit it and go sign up. So, uh, you know, I digress. I just wanted to say that because, it, it, you know, it sounded like the right time to talk about it, but um, I know Brent was going to kind of talk to you a little bit more about, um, you know, one of our other shows about uh, OpenStack and containers. So, mm -hmm. No, I think it's uh, – OpenStack is just – it's a crazy hot topic right now, as is containers and um, – so how do those how do those work together? Are they are they mutually exclusive? Uh, what, what's your what's your take on both of those technologies and, and when and how do you use them separately or together? So I see OpenStack is definitely making some waves still. Uh, it made a huge splash a couple of years ago and is still making waves every time they release something new. Containers was on everyone's mind at OpenStack Summit um, last month in May over in Vancouver. So everyone was talking about but okay, so when are we running containers in OpenStack? And the answer was unclear right now, uh, as far as I understood it. I didn't uh, attend the summit, but from what I could read and after talking to my colleagues who were there, um, everyone's interested in running containers on OpenStack. And I think you can run some, uh, some containers on it already. But I think it's a Looking at OpenStack, all the VMs on OpenStack are by definition also ephemeral, just like they are on AWS. They are also ephemeral. So when you look at um, starting to move into containers, if you're already using OpenStack and you want to move into containers, it's kind of an easy step um, because it's the same mindset. They're all ephemeral, and if you want to store something, you have to do something special about it. That's still the same thing in OpenStack and AWS and, and with containers. So... I think it's an easy move if you want to move into containers with OpenStack. It doesn't mean that they're mutually exclusive. Uh, I'm pretty sure we'll see containers running on top of OpenStack uh, quite a lot in the near future, uh, just like we'll see containers running on VMware as well. So I have something that I want to run in containers and I want to talk to you about in general, yep. um, and that's the Kerbal Space Program. Ah. So, <laughs> so now that we have, you know, now we, we've got stuff here, we've got our... Um, we have the ability to actually save data. So we should, can we contain, number one is how fast are you going to be able to containerize uh, Kerbal Space Program? So the, the Kerbal Space Program, for, for those who doesn't know, it's one of my favorite games ever. Um, it's, uh, it's about creating your own NASA, essentially, and you build your own rockets. It's real physics, so it's damn hard. 
Uh, it's real physics and you shoot up rockets in the sky and you land on planets and you do science and you return and hopefully you don't end up as a fireball. Uh, but it, it's an immensely cool game that you should all play, especially if you have kids. It's a, it's a great way to introduce them to astrophysics um, and orbital mechanics and, and all of the good, th uh, good stuff. But Kerbal Space Program is, is written in .NET, and when it's written in .NET, you immediately think, okay, we can't run it on anything else than Windows, but I'm actually running it on my Mac using Mono. And Microsoft is moving .NET into open source. So the, the new .NET will be open source and actually run on Linux. Their first Docker container that Microsoft released was a .NET application running in a Linux container. And it's up on Docker Hub, which is pretty cool. So hopefully, uh, in the near future, we'll be able to have Kerbal Space Program as a container. And I'll attach a volume to it to save my game. That's and that's exactly what we need. And I, I know that kind of ties into your your love of uh, not only the you know the 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 vast world that's out there, but also you know the astronomy and all those kind of things. And obviously, yep. astrophysics is not astronomy, but they they at least start with both. They both start with A, and they both yeah. have to do with, <laughs> they, they both have to do with space. Exactly. So, so the other thing you know, I really want to get you know, it's important that these people know this. Um, if there is any specific episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000, if you were to say, look, you're going to get one episode by which to know this thing that you've never seen before, is there one in particular that you would have to say, this is how I'm introducing you? Uh, yeah, there, there are so many uh, great ones out there. Um, Mystery Science Theater is an awesome series. It was never shown in Sweden, never broadcast in Sweden. I That's found it on sad. a fluke like a decade ago and I got hooked. And after that, I've been building out a, a very, very large um, collection of memorabilia from the show, all the DVDs, all the, all the stuff that they ever sold during the 90s. I buy shit off eBay all the time. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, a, it's a great show. So there's... Um, um, uh, there are a bunch of them, but the, the one that's generally recommended is Manos, The Hands of Hands Fate. Hands of Fate, yes. It, it's a horrible one to introduce someone to because it's so slow and nothing happens. Uh, I generally love it because it, it's so dreary. Um, but there, there are a bunch of them. Uh, I really love one that's called Radar, Se uh, Radar Secret Service. It's all about using radar as a policeman uh, to find uh, criminals. And they have radar and light posts to find cars and stuff like that. So it, it's an amazing show. It's all black and white, 1950s gangsters. It, it's beautiful. I, I love it. Radar Secret Service. I'm going to have to go find that. I got to say, the one that I like, and I don't know the name of the episode, was it's a space episode where the aliens with the white hair, um, and they, they're they're, they're communicating through this this weird uh portal that they have that goes back to to their place in space and um, oh yeah that, that's the, the movie yeah. i think that's the movie yeah it's just mr science theater the movie okay that's a, also a really great one and has, uh, has a lot of production value but if you introduce someone to uh, with that one they will be very very um reluctant to watch any of the other <laughs> crappy episodes you know it's interesting though um um Though that same group, you probably know this, Jonas. Um, that same group today is still recording um, to new age movies, and you can go to their website, whatever it is, to buy like the the sound overlays to any and every movie that's out there today. I haven't done it, but uh, I bet it's absolutely hilarious. So, so, Jonas, have you done that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's uh, it's Rift Tracks. So you go to rifttracks.com right. and they have all the movies. So all the Transformers movies. You mentioned Transformers before. Uh, they're hilarious. Lord of the Rings, of course, uh, because they're so long. So it's always good to have some funny commentaries. Uh, Harry Potter. I watched Harry Potter on the flight uh, back home from San Francisco last week. Uh, and I kept my <laughs> uh, the people next to me awake because I was laughing the entire time. It's just awesome so how do you play tracks. both of those at the same time so um you can just start the the mp3 you download an mp3 you just start it on your laptop and just keep your laptop next to you while you watch the movie on your tv okay yeah. so uh before we uh digress back into containers and all that kind of stuff <laughs> i have one more favorite to ask you jonas 
Yeah. Well, okay, it's my second to last favor. The last favor is going to be at the end of the show. My, my, uh, I understand that the U21 soccer team uh, from Sweden won the World Cup. Yeah. And I need a favor from you. It's actually for a friend, but could we possibly get an introduction? <laughs> it's for a friend. I swear it's for a friend. So I, I am the least sport-interested Swede um, in the world, I think. Uh, my wife actually told me this morning that we won, and I said, okay, what did we win? She went, we won soccer. Oh, okay. Was it a, was it a game? I have no idea. So no, unfortunately, I have no contacts. Otherwise, I would love to introduce you. Okay, well, if you like, just later on for for an intro. It's for a friend, though. I'm just trying to be yeah, absolutely trying to be a friend by generous. So, um, back I to have containers. a question, Brian. I got I, I got to ask this one though. So we just had a uh, MIT aerospace engineer on, uh, Sean Jennings from mm-hmm. uh, Virtue Stream, and um, oh, am I getting confused now? I think I'm getting confused. That I'm getting confused with, jeez, uh, your boss, man, Josh Bernstein. He was, we were talking about the satellite program that he worked on, and he was saying that it took about eight minutes for a transmission to go to the satellite and back to Earth. Mm-hmm. So in, in the, uh, the Kerbal Space Program game, do you have to actually wait um, that length of time, or do you communicate instantaneously with your rocket? So that's actually a conversation that's been coming up on the forums as well, uh, adding delay to communication. That would be really hard. Because uh, right now you steer everything manually, um, but if you were to be able to program your satellites properly, that would make it a lot easier. And then we could add delays as well, and then we could just send them commands like steer a bit right. Right now it's all manual and it's very hands-on, and every now and then I end up in the sun. So uh, it's a yeah, it, it, it's a fun problem, and I'm sure they're they're looking at adding that as well. Uh, right now, they they added a bunch of new physics that makes it almost impossible to take off. Uh, so yeah, if they want to make it even harder, that's one way of doing it. They, it must be the it's the Unreal Engine. No, whatever. The it's this, bodies everywhere. They just added real world. Just look at SpaceX, right? I mean, they just literally added those exact same features into KSP. They're like, look, if these guys can't do, it, maybe maybe SpaceX needs to go invest in some KSP and start playing with it so they can learn some things and get their next rocket all the way up and all the way down safely, like Jonas does. Elon Musk actually did an AMA uh, a couple of months ago confessing that he plays Kerbal Space Program. <laughs> That's awesome. But he plays it live as well by using SpaceX. Nice. Yeah. So the, uh, the, the, the Jonas Rosalind AMA continues, except for it's Ask Me AMC, right? It's Ask Me Containers. Um, and so we're going to undigress there. We're having a lot of fun with you. We could go, you know, the next show, we'll just talk, we'll just, you know, do Swedish jokes all day. Um, <laughs> so, you know, EMC and containers, right? We got all this stuff going on. And obviously, yep. DockerCon last week. Uh, and so stuff came up, and you kind of, you mentioned some of it. Data persistence, right? So um, Flocker with Cluster HQ is one way to do this persistence thing. And then uh, there's obviously another way with Rexray, right? So we're talking yeah. about the native Docker, Docker data plugin versus um, a plugin opportunity. You know, kind of talk to those kind of things. What, is, what do you see from an EMC perspective on these things? So uh, the Flocker, the Flocker thing was something that was started out of, uh, of the out of the office of the CTO together with Cluster HQ. Cluster HQ released Flocker last year as a way to manage Docker volumes in a, in a more efficient way than was possible before. When you look at um, a container and you want to add some persistent storage to it, you add what's called a volume. That volume is generally stored on on the server where you're currently running your, your container. So if that server were to go down or, or have some issues, your data might be lost, uh, including the volume. The container doesn't matter because it's always ephemeral, right? But if I were to start up that container somewhere else, I wouldn't have the volume or the data to attach it to. So running a persistent uh, persistent data layer, looking at like databases, for instance, you would uh, it was kind of hard to uh, realize that dream of having databases in containers because you couldn't move them around on hosts. So Flocker was released as an open source tool and it's fully supported by Cluster HQ now as well. Um, it was released as an open source tool and they added a ZFS layer uh, beneath, um, spanning the entire um, Docker, um, Docker cluster essentially. So you have a cluster of hosts where you have a ZFS layer and then you tell Flocker to spin up the containers on top of different hosts. 
The host will then tie volumes to the containers. And if you want to move the containers around, Flocka will keep, um, uh, keep track of the volume that was uh, added to a container. So if you're moving a container from host 1 to host 2, the volume will move with it. So all of a sudden, we got a, uh, a sense of what high availability for those types of containers would look like. Um, Flocker also introduced a network overlay. So they have a networking piece where you actually move, uh, move around containers between hosts and the network will automatically update. So Flocker is not just a storage layer, it's also a network layer. And not everyone is, um, is super happy about adding more network complexity because the network is already complex enough. So that's why we looked at creating just a storage plugin without ZFS or anything like that. So the, the work that Octo did with Flocker was to uh, work uh, or talk directly to Scale.io and Extreme.io, so two of EMC's uh, storage uh, platforms, right? So we could create volumes directly from Scale.io or Extreme.io instead of use, using the ZFS layer, still using the network layer though. Um, and that work ha is now in Flocker 1.0 that was released two weeks ago, uh, I think it was June 17th. So it was released back then, it's a 1.0 release, fully supported by Cluster HQ. You can now buy support as well if you want uh, from them, if you want to use this. And we are baked into the 1.0 release. And I think that's really, really cool. All of a sudden, EMC has a really good story around storing stuff on top of, storing container volumes on top of our stuff. Yeah, it does sound cool. Definitely, I, I think that the the community base and, and certainly EMC customers um, should be pretty interested in that. So, I guess that kind of leads into the next question, which is: uh, I know that uh, EMC did a pre-event with with Cluster yep. HQ um, prior to DockerCon. Um, so, did you attend that? And if you did, what was what was the attendance and then the overall feel? Like, what's the feedback you've gotten from? from people on, on Flocker, this whole persistence layer, and especially with, with EMC storage? Yeah, so I attended the event. Uh, they have great beer at the Pivotal office. Um, mm. So uh, if you're ever over in San Francisco, make sure you have a, a meeting over there. But it was, a, it was a great. Ryan Wallner and a bunch of other guys from, from the Octo team talked together with Cluster HQ uh, about what Flocker is, how it works. They showed live demos of how it works both on Scale.io and Extreme.io, which was pretty cool. Um, when we do this, we also show, uh, they also showed how, how you can uh, create snapshots of uh, the volumes that are attached to containers. And this is a question that I've been getting uh, from a lot of customers. They say, okay, we can use, we can use uh, volumes, but how do I move or copy a volume over to my dev environment if I want to move, um, copy it from my production environment? And before now, it's been really hard, but now we actually have those rich data services in our storage systems. So we can say, you know what, just create a, a snapshot and mount that snapshot somewhere else onto your dev environment and you can test things out. So that's a really good, uh, really good demo that we showed as well. And they, uh, um, there were like, I think 30, 35 people in attendance. Um, some great questions. Uh, I think most were tired from traveling for DockerCon. Um, so some of them stuck around for a while. Uh, some left after the, uh, uh, after the demo, but it was good. Um, but the day afterwards, on Monday, we had a session on the, the stuff that we have created. So Flocker and Rexray. Rexray is a plugin to Docker as well. That is just a storage plugin. It's not just for Docker, it's actually for any container runtime. Um, but it's, um, uh, we made a, uh, did a session there. Clint Kitson from our team, Ryan Waller was on stage together with um, Shashwat and Kamal from the ECS team were on stage as well. And there were 75 seats in the room. All seats were full and there were 50 people sitting on the floor. After that, the, the fire marshal essentially said, no, you, you can't fit more people in here. There were people lining up outside the room. They really wanted to see how we treated data persistence in containers. So it was over full. Um, and it was really cool to see. Um, we tried to live stream the entire, the entire session using Periscope. I think that went well. But we got a lot of, um, a lot of really cool demos out of it. 
and uh, a lot of really good discussions at the booth afterwards. So it's definitely an interesting thing. Uh, the the DockerCon attendees really, really enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, they're super interested in, in seeing what we can do more with this. So 2,000 attendees to DockerCon yep. um, this year and sold out completely. What do you Correct. think next year is going to look like? Are they going to open it up to 5,000, 10,000? What's realistic for next DockerCon? So I think... Um, I think it's going to be hard to fit more people in uh, unless they get a bigger venue. So the, the venue itself is limited to 2,000 people. So if they want to fit more people, well, then it's Moscone, essentially. And that's rented out until 2018, I think. Uh, so <laughs> we'll, we'll see what they do. Maybe they move it somewhere else. Uh, San Francisco is a great place to have a conference, but it's kind of hard to find good conference pl- uh, spaces that aren't rented out years in advance. So we'll see what happens there. So, but yeah, there there was a lot of people, a lot of people on the waiting list. Another kind of pretty cool project that came out of the whole DockerCon thing was, and you mentioned Clint, um, was the whole um, during the hackathon. He kind of had a team that did, you know, basically created or added um, VLAN support or at least worked on a VLAN support project and then even basically submitted that PR and I believe there's even a branch of that code out there so you know how, how did you get some feedback on that or how did that that whole thing go down? Yeah so um, during the Docker Hackathon that was before the event so it was Saturday and Sundays so it was 24 hours of full hacking <coughs> sorry uh, so Clint Kitson joined a team with um, a bunch of really, really talented people from the um, uh, mostly the networking space. So it was Ericsson, NTT, I think Docomo was there, uh, a bunch of really, really smart people that he worked with and they added VLAN support. So they added VLAN support, they put it in as a PR. I don't know what happened after that, but uh, Clint got up on stage and presented to the entire room and it was generally very well received. So yeah, it's a cool, uh, cool thing, and maybe uh, I think the most important piece of this is to add VLAN support to Docker uh, in the Docker engine itself. Makes it very easy for us to uh, implement it into brownfield environments, uh, where you already have a lot of networking gear, you already have a lot of VLANs. All of a sudden, we can put our Docker containers on top of VLANs. Uh, instead of using abstracted network layers like uh, socket plane, weave, flannel, and stuff like that. All right, very cool. So let's move on. I know we've we've tied these things back to to EMC uh, a little bit, but uh, let's kind of dive into uh, what EMC is is really doing with containers. So can you can you can you tell us uh, what EMC is looking at for the future of containers? How we look to leverage those internally, and then also um, you know, get our customer base comfortable with the idea of, of EMC and containerization. Yeah, absolutely. So we, so we got two aspects there. Uh, the first one is that we're actually already using containers in production at EMC. Um, we have one product, which is the ECS product. It's uh, Elastic Cloud Storage. Uh, it's been using containers in production for over a year. So they, they started looking at uh, creating this storage uh, storage system with containers running on top. So the containers are actually running the entire storage system uh, and then storing stuff on top of uh, all these racks of disks, right? And that's actually Docker, right? That's actually Docker, yes. So they started looking at this early spring last year. And um, when Docker went, went 1.0 in June, they said, okay, perfect. Now we're actually ready to to use 1.0 as well. And they added some features in there and all of a sudden, we had a release product in July. So we have a ton of customers out there that have bought ECS and are actually running Docker in production. Um, Some of them might even know it. Um, So it's a self-contained system. uh, They had to build their own um, service discovery tools and and, um, scheduling tools and stuff like that because there wasn't that much out there when they started this project. So they built a lot of really cool tools themselves and are definitely seen as um, very interesting projects that we might uh, see out in the wild later on as well. Um, So that's just one product that are already using Docker. Um, We see a lot of other products are moving this way as well. We already use containers in another one of our storage systems. It's not Docker, but they use containers in the VNXE 
they actually use containers in in that platform already. It's not Docker containers, but it's uh, C groups containers. So the one that's Google, that Google is using, um, and that's been out there as well for in production for years. So we're definitely using Docker container, uh, using container tech, and have been using it for years. And we're moving more and more of our products into that. Um, in, when we look at the the other aspect of running containers and then using our storage, I think Flocker and Rexray are the, the first forays into that piece uh, where we can actually host do, uh, Docker container volumes as well. So what's uh, what's EMC code? You know, your your group and in general, you know, our our, our outward facing open source. What's your what's your our, our community outreach type thing? What is your charter or objective in in, in as a pertains to containers specifically. I, there's a lot of other stuff you guys are doing, but where are you guys kind of headed with containers for your team? So our focus is looking at what startups are doing and what kind of technology they are using. So containers is definitely one of our main focuses that we have. Um, container management essentially now um, during the next um, two quarters at least we're going to focus heavily on container management and everything surrounding it to make sure that we have uh, a proper proper story to go out and tell both customers, partners, our internal engineers, and everyone else who wants to listen, essentially. Um, so we're definitely focused on containers, and we want to make sure that everyone knows we're focused on containers. We're going to focus on uh, on a few different container um, communities and, and try to... Um, try to integrate as well as possible with them as well to make sure that uh, the stuff that we create is actually liked by the community uh, and will be used by the community. So we're not going to go off creating projects just because we think they're cool. We want to make sure that they are worthwhile for the community as well. Um, so yeah, we're, we're definitely playing in the, in the container community, focusing on that, focusing on tech that startup, startups are using and everything surrounding applic new applications essentially. So can you give us a, um, a glimpse into the inside world without going crazy here and being, needing an NDA, right? But uh, Go as crazy as you want. Nobody's listening. Yeah, just, yeah let's go crazy. Why not? <laughs> hey, I mean, it, yeah, let's do it. Um, but are there new EMC products that you see on the horizon, whether it's hardware, software, something we're going to put out into the wild that we're going to leverage uh, containers for? Why not? <laughs> that's that's not enough. I do not accept your answer. <laughs> so, I mean, we we so, know there's some engineered hardware solutions that are coming, right? So, and they're they're out there enough. So, are there some of those that are out there enough that you can talk about and what you see for a container perspective? Uh, so, I can't talk about the uh, the engineering stuff uh, at all. That that is all the uh, the other groups that actually build them. Uh, I'm not a spokesperson for those products and, and I can't talk about roadmaps, so sorry. But no, the, uh, the answer is yes. We're, we as EMC is definitely focusing on containers. Uh, we're definitely focusing on container platforms. We're focusing on, on storage. We're focusing on making sure our customers are comfortable with running containers in production. We want to make sure that we are there when they want to run and, and store those container volumes as well, the container data. Um, one, of the, one of the really interesting pieces about this, uh, when, when looking at what happened at DockerCon last week, we saw a Flocker, we saw a Rextray, but the, I think one of the most important pieces that shows that EMC is very, very heavily invested in this is that we are one of the founding members of the Open Container Project Foundation. We're one of the founding members together with VMware and Pivotal, who are both, uh, so that's the federation, right? So we're definitely um, diving deep into uh, containers. The entire company is essentially betting on containers going f forward. VMware is betting on containers. Pivotal is already running both Docker and Garden and Warden, three different container technologies with Cloud Foundry. Um, so we're all betting on containers. So yeah, you can definitely bet on seeing stuff from, from all three companies around, uh, around container and container management. Yeah, we love it, man. Uh, so we're, we've run out of time. I think that you're, you're one of those guests where we probably could go for another hour and still get great content and keep people entertained, but we're going to try to stick to this hour thing, unfortunately. So we're going to, we're shutting it down and what we feel like is a little bit prematurely, but let's, we're going to do it just because people think an hour is kind of the right place to be. So, uh, thank you so much for, you know, for, for joining us, Jonas. We really appreciate you. 
thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. So uh, again, we want to remind everybody, Jonas is part of EMC Code. Uh, get involved. One of the things we haven't talked about, again, listen, write this down. I know you're driving. I don't care. Write it down. Community.emccode.com. Go get involved. Get on the Slack thing. I mean, Jonas was huge as an internal champion to get people into Slack groups. One of the many. I know there's other people out there. Um, but you know, he, he, the invite actually comes from Jonas. That's how you know how, you know, how important it is. Get out there. I see people from Basho in there, all that kind of stuff, talking to the code team and just getting information and sharing information. It's awesome. Um, you know, again, go read his blog, jonasrosin.com. Uh, get on his Twitter, you know, hit, you know, hit him up. Uh, if he types back to you and it looks like, uh, as, as somebody said to me so eloquently, you're holding down the alt key and banging your head on the keyboard. That's just, that's simply his native language. Language and tell him to use English. Um, so, thank you, Matt Cogger. And um, you know, Jonas, we're going to ask our last favor of you, okay? Before we gonna kind of hang up on this thing, can you please say thank you for listening to the Hot All podcast in Swedish? Tack så jättemycket för att ni har lyssnat på Hot Isle podden. Hoppas att ni har trevligt. That was awesome. That was awesome. I think you probably said. The hot aisle stinks. Don't listen to this. But we're going to go ahead and use it as kind of like a, a thing. We're going to record it out there and tell everybody that this is awesome. So, Jonas, we love you. Thank you so much. On, on behalf of the hot aisle, I'm Brian Carpenter. And I'm Brent Piatti. Have a great weekend.